Our reading comes from Luke 1, 59 to 56. Verse 2. <laughs> Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped into her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed with Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of their greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For God has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. And holy is God's name, indeed. God's mercy is for those who fear God from generation to generation. God has shown strength with his arm. God has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. God has filled the hungry with good things and set, sent the rich away empty. God has come to the aid of the child Israel in remembrance of God's mercy, according to the promise God made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to the descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. The word for God, for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Let's pray. Holy God, as Mary prays, we may not be quite so courageous to pray also, but it has touched our hearts and our minds and our hands. Lord, speak so that your people may hear. Amen. Let's begin, instead of with the gospel lesson, let's begin with the picture of the gospel of John's house as designed by Kevin Burns in the publicized article through The Thoughtful Christian, giving the study on the accounts of Christmas in each of the Gospels. Mark's house, if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, was very plain. It was functional. It was basic. It represented Mark's nativity story in his Gospel, which isn't there. Why? Because Mark thought the beginnings of Jesus happened in the life ministries of Jesus, and Mark jumps right into the story. Last week, we looked at Luke's house, it was open, it was invitational, it was full of people and animals and things, as is Luke's nativity story of Jesus. The beginnings of Jesus in the Gospel of John is not a birth narrative. Instead, it is the beginnings in the book of Genesis, the very first words that open up our scriptures. In the beginning was the Word, writes John. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. Not one thing came into being without the word. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overtake it. In the Gospel of John, the word logos, logos word, means communication, communicating meaning, content, but not necessarily explanation or illumination. Think of Jesus's I am statements. I am the way, I am the door, I am the light, I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd. These are obvious connections, well, obvious to me, to Moses meeting God for the very first time and God's self-disclosure when Moses said, and you are who? Whom? I am. Is a complete sentence of being in and for and creating everything. Far-reaching. John tells us at the very beginning that this all came to light not with the prophet Moses, but from the first time God logos, communicated, spoke. Light to all people began at the beginning of absolutely everything. And who was in it? This little Christ child who grew to be our Lord Jesus. And the light would never be overtaken by darkness, assumes there is going to be darkness. It will never win. John's Christmas house is therefore full of light. This is the only picture in the four-week series of looking at the four Gospels which has color because the Gospel of John is so full of light and illumination. In the words of elder and architect Kevin Burns, John's house endeavors to shine a light into the darkness around it. The darkness, like the house is built in, in the woods, and the darkness does not overcome it. He writes, I thought John needed to be a very modern house with lots of glass and geometry that emphasizes its juxtaposition against the wooded context of the house. Once you see it, you are drawn to it. You are invited to this space to explore its surprises, its mysteries, just like the Gospel of John invites the reader to ponder the double and triple meanings of its carefully chosen words. John's house is lit up with the warmth of color, light in the darkness, open, transparent, while also complicated and balanced. God is not far off, even in a dark forest, that one little light will shine so brightly. As Reverend Cynthia Campbell wrote, write, writes, God moved into the neighborhood and nothing about us, joy or sorrow, good or evil, brokenness or triumph, none of that alienates us from God or God from us. For John, the beginning of the good news of redemption began 
at the beginning of everything. Now, if you are like me, you are asking, how can the word everyone include the 99.99% who cannot afford a Frank Lloyd Wright house? It's just the way my mind works. The point of the image, of any image, is to open up our minds to a new opportunity, a new perspective. So we have a new image. Would you mind switching to the next slide, Karen? Our new image is a painting found in the church. I'm, please forgive me, I'm monolingual. I can't do this correctly, but I'm going to, to try. The church of Sitio in Suchitoto, El Salvador. Elizabeth speaks first. They meet. There is light through this painting, through their dialogue, that changes places, that wiggles from one to the other. It moves as light does. I know scientifically, don't, don't question me, I'm just using images here. The light flows into crevices where you would never expect it to go which is why our parents always knew when our light was on in the bedroom when we were not supposed to be reading. As Elizabeth speaks first, her husband, the chief priest, high priest, Zachariah, is still in his prayerful silence, yet she proclaims like a prophet when she sees Mary. John, whom we call John the Baptist, is yet to be born. He senses the light of God in Jesus, who is yet to be born in Mary, who's standing right next to Elizabeth. John dances. Elizabeth notices. Mary hears confirmation of the angel's annunciation, which really was something that was hard to digest. And the prophet within Mary's soul was born at that moment when Elizabeth confirmed, without ever seeing the angel, confirmed what the angel had said to Mary. In this picture, with light flowing, you have three prophets, Elizabeth, Mary, John, and one Messiah, Jesus. Together, with the light of God moving around the light of God is the light of the world. Elizabeth, Mary, John, Jesus, our family. Family can be defined as not limited by any genealogy, bloodlines. Family can be defined where there is belonging. Isn't that the true definition of family? I feel like I belong here. Elizabeth and Mary were family, two women, experiencing opposite extremes. Elizabeth had experienced the extreme age which took childhood out of her scope and knew the social rejection. Well, that changed by the light of God. And on the opposite side, Mary, unwed, too young, is also bearing a child. And the social rejection of bearing that child. The two meet. Was Elizabeth now respectable? 
that she was bearing a child where Mary wasn't because she was? Respect. Isn't it wonderful in the human society? Sometimes I just feel like crumpling it in a ball and put it in a rubbish bin. Respect should never have a boundary. It is your God-given gift of light. Yet here is Elizabeth recognizing Mary who still, still feels like a social outcast. And instead, Elizabeth opens up wide arms, not only accepting her, but saying, Prophet Mary, I see you. Was Mary a prophet? Her speech was prophetic. As commentator Jane Scheberg wrote in the Women's Bible Commentary, the Magnificat is the great New Testament song of liberation, personal and social, moral and economic, a revolution document of intense conflict and victory. It is steeped in bringing the prophetic light to all of us, to remind us to remember God who challenges our social norms, especially those norms that eliminate people from the story. Mary's prophetic song identifies God with those who suffer, a holy solidarity. Whether Mary is a prophet or not means nothing to me. Her song does. Now, part of prophecy, this is the hard part, just as you might ask about the 99.9% of us who can't afford a Frank Lloyd Wright house, you may also ask, well, hasn't Mary's prophecy come true? But that's the point of prophecy. You may not see it coming true. We may not live to see it come true, but God's prophecy does not end. That hope, that peace, that joy we experience in God's prophecy never ends. Even though we do not see it practiced, it becomes our marching orders. Mary was not the first one to pray such a prayer. Hannah prayed it in 1 Samuel chapter 2 when she felt God's answer as she had begged for a child. And she prayed in chapter 2, knowing that this child had been born. This would be little Samuel. Mary, uh, Hannah's prayer interrupts priest Eli's godless ways. His reign was coming to an end because his followers were his children, his sons, who were also godless. And here's Hannah's prayer, so similar to Mary's. Mary proclaimed, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Go ahead and quote that every single day and then carry on. This intimate prayer recognizes that within us there are tiny spaces that will always remain lit even when darkness or confusion or change is around about us. Remember what Mary still has to go through. It's not delivery, it's social rejection, and every change of her concept of who God is. Now, whether what we call the Magnificat is Mary's proclamation, or Elizabeth's, as some will say, or it's the gospel writers, whom I'm just going to call Luke because it's so much easier than saying gospel writer. I don't know who the gospel writer is. 
Did the early church insert this prayer? Does it matter? It's the prayer that counts. Each prophecy of challenge and change is our spoken hope for God's social reversals toward equality and recognition and acceptance. I tend to think that this is Mary's prophecy, her song, but, this is just me, not as a young woman, but as an older woman going through everything meeting Elizabeth, remembering about this, going through the life of her son, her child. And then Luke, or whomever writes the Gospel of Luke, has traveled his journeys, and now he's writing a good account. And through his stylus or his quill, Luke records what he saw, what he experienced, and those with whom he spoke. And I imagine Luke meeting up with Mary and asking her in kind of an interview fashion. So, Mary, the angel changed everything. Your relative Elizabeth confirmed it. How did you feel? And maybe she had said it before. Maybe she said it as a young teen. Maybe she said it sitting right there next to Luke. Maybe she wrote it down. I don't know. I just enjoy envisioning what it looked like. Mary peering back through the years, remembering all that she had seen, all that she had experienced, all that she had heard and pondered upon. Looking past Luke and his question, she sang the Magnificat. I find meaning in the Magnificat as a prophecy looking back through the trials of lives lost, lives found, the hope that grew into the unexpected church, who saw that coming besides Jesus, which knew both poverty, riches, the ministry of caring, and the militant attacks of oppressors. The Magnificent came out of a rich history of Hannah and Miriam and Deborah and Judith and all who sang when God's provisions that had excluded them became victories that banished chaos. That's me. So let me throw in another view because that's always fun. Commentator Richard Swanson suggests an alternative that Mary's song establishes her as a resistor energized by her faith, the faith of her grandmothers, insisting on the fulfillment of God's promises. And he takes a fun twist here, which I absolutely love. He goes on to say, this very faith may have helped shape her son. I don't know about you, but do any of your children reflect some of your values? It happens. For Swanson, Mary emerges ready to look danger in the eye for the sake of faithfulness to God's, to God and to God's promises, just as her son did. Why not? I love being wrong. The Magnificat is Mary's vo- in Mary's voice causes us to remember her, prophets, prophecy, and of course, her son who would disrupt the future of hate and fulfill all of God's promises by being a servant, giving 
his life, which then transforms our life. Prophecy. Has this prophecy ended? No. God's word does not end. That's the light that the darkness will not overcome. And this is something Mary reminds us God does not forget. God does not stop working. Though we are weary, though we are wary, perhaps we do not quite believe anymore, even though we so want to. After all, that darkness really does look dark. But can we remind ourselves now, through the Gospel of John, through an image, through Mary, through Elizabeth, through John the baptizer, and through Jesus, that our problems are not insurmountable. They are not unrealistic, and they are not incredible. The darkness never wins. The light does. Amen.